welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am going to be talking about the OKC Blue Long Island's Nets game. Now, there's no Thunder games. This is our kind of like vacation we got. We got a three-day break, back-to-back set, and then you got a whole week off because of All-Star Weekend. So, it's going to be cool. Like I've mentioned before, there's going to be a lot of kind of one-off stories I'm going to be sprinkling in over the course of like the next 10 days. So, hopefully you guys are ready for that. However, the Blue, they don't really have any free time. I mean, they're right. They're going right in the mix, midst of this thing. They're already in the back third of their season, and it's been like not even a month of playing time. So they're just rapid fire going off game after game. I'm keeping you guys covered. I don't really know if there's any other like podcasts that keep like breaking down the blue games. Maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, hopefully you guys enjoy that. So for this episode, I'm going to be talking about just the blue, and I'm going to be doing that in tomorrow's episode. And tomorrow's episode, it's going to be a little bit more special because I'm actually going to be asking you guys for questions. So I already posted something on Reddit. Um, If you guys are from there, this is not the episode. However, if you do want to know more about the blue, highly suggest still listening to this because this is a pretty important game that uh, was held on Monday. Anyways, if you guys have any questions, make sure to either comment it on Reddit if you have it on the Thunder subreddit, r slash thunder, or you also can find me on Twitter, my name in the titles of all these episodes. It's like a link, so you click on it, you get to my Twitter, hit me up whenever you want, and if you have any questions, I will definitely sprinkle sprinkle it in. I mean, I love answering your guys' questions, and and I love giving my take on things. I don't tend to do that a lot on here. I normally stay a bit on like the conservative side, just break down game by game. And then, you know, there's those games, you know, some games and stories where I go branch out, but not a ton, not in a whole entire episode. So that's going to be one of those tomorrow. Be excited for that one. I'm really excited. I'm already writing up a script. It's going to be a pretty long podcast if I had to guess. So going to be some great stuff. Just talking about strictly OKC Blue any questions you have, whether it's a player, whether it's just the team in general, what we could see from these guys down the line, it doesn't matter. Just ask me anything. I'll I'll make sure to include it in. But we do have a game to talk about. Long Island Nets, I mean, these guys came in to this game with a 4-7 and seven record, so not too hot. OKC on the other side, though, they were 8-3. and three. They were a little bit cold because they lost their... I think two out of their last three. They only beat the Delaware Bluecoats. Pretty big victory, but they needed to get this one. And I'll go into why after this breakdown. But they were not able to get it done. The Thunder were up as big as 15 points in this game. And they coughed it all up. They had a very strong showing in the first and second quarters from Omer Yurt 7. This man could not be stopped. Moses Brown is being rested pretty strategically here. So that's why Yurt 7 just got the upgrade. And he did just amazing. You couldn't have... Kind of picked that up any better for him. His, his strong start was just really awesome. I mean, the announcer was just losing his mind. I think he scored like the first 11 points for the OKC Blue team. Without him, this probably wouldn't have even been a close contest at all. Yeah, it was the first 11 points. And, I mean, he helped charge a pretty big run to get up to that 15-point margin. This was in the second quarter, by the way, when they were up this much. However, they ended up just coughing it away. Two-point lead at halftime. Blew up 57-55. to 55, And then you kind of just get stuck in this grudge match where everyone's kind of exchanging the lead back and forth. And, 
I mean, the Nets, they actually got on a pretty sweet run. So they were up a decent amount. I think they were up five with like 30 seconds left to go in the third quarter. But the OKC Blue, they rallied. They went on a 7-2 run, had it 85-85 to going into the fourth quarter. And this is something that, you know, the Blue kind of has become accustomed to. There have been a lot of blowout games, but outside of that, most of these games are single digits. It's, it's no, like, in-between here. There's hardly any games where it's, like, an 8-15 to 15 point margin. It's, like, either really close or blown right out the water i think they beat like the cannon charge by 31 points a week or two ago and then they kept falling it up they were that hot now not so much and you know entering the fourth i mean they they're used to this experience they've always had kind of their backs against the wall and they found a way out of it and it looked like they actually had a shot to do so because they actually got down fast but as you all know i mean they always got that run so 9-2 Nets run, get them up 7 points. However, they kept chipping away at it. And like 6 minutes ago, they cut this thing to 3. Xavier Simpson did like a tightrope drill. It was a really bad play. Like this was a botched up play. Simpson gets the ball in the right corner. He has no wiggle room whatsoever. He's damn near trapped. He's a pretty small guy. He's pretty fast too. So he just wiggles right around and like spins out of it. I don't know how this man did not step on the baseline but he didn't. So he stayed in bounds, was able to get a layup in. You cut it to three points. And then after another miss for the Long Island Nets, Jalen Horde comes down. He gets a foul, misses the free throw. They get the ball back though. Horde takes it right back up. He's like left wing, drives in again. That's a foul. He hits that one. And because of the rules, that is worth two points. You only get one free throw for the first 46 minutes. Final two, you do have to shoot two or three free throws but if you get fouled at the three-point arc you get one shot for three same thing goes if you're shooting like a mid-range jumper you get fouled you got one free throw for two points only time that it's like just one it's often and one or like a tech or something so they don't really go too in depth on the rules it's pretty self-explanatory if you know what i mean but anyways yeah that's what happened they cut this bad boy down to one However, then the Nets kind of started fending them back off. So they get buckets inside. Blue comes down. They get a basket inside. No separation until, you know, you start going to downtown. And that's where you make or break your games. So Omer Yurt 7, he's down low. And this man was feasting. I'll tell you his final stat line at the end of this. But nobody could guard him. He was like Moses Brown times 10. He had to be double teamed and triple teamed because the post hook was too deadly for them. So he gets everyone dragged in. He spots up Antonius Cleveland from downtown. He gets it. He buries the jumper. So it's 108 to 108. Two minutes to go. This is clutch time. And they kept just trading, trading, and trading. But then the Nets, they miss a shot. The Blue are not going to let it slip up. So Antonius Cleveland, he's in the play again, but he's the one facilitating. And who does he facilitate to? Omer Yurt 7. Perfect alley-oop pass. Finishes it off. Give them the lead. But then it just goes right back away. Nets, they're walking in for these layups, man. I'm not even kidding. That's kind of what this fourth, fourth quarter was for them. Third quarter, they were shooting a ton of threes. I think they made like four of seven attempts in the third. They didn't do that in the fourth. It was all inside and nobody could stop them. Too fast. So they get it. 30 seconds again, it's tied, OKC has the basketball, 
And it was a pretty weird play they had going on. They wanted to try to get just a free throw. That's really what it's been about for them. Um, driving in has been the bread and butter. They have too many good slashers on this roster. Whether you look at Brown, Yurt7, you know, the Clevelands, the Hordes, even like the other guys like Simpson and Rob Edwards. They can get you the fouls too. And that's exactly what Vincent Edwards want to do. He's more of the three-point guy, but he does have the frame. He's kind of fast enough. So try to jump in, create some contact. Maybe they will call something. Nothing came from it. So he just clashes into someone. He goes from, you know, I'd say like the left corner, makes a little move in, clashes right inside the basket. Nothing. Too strong. He hits the backboard, strong off the front iron, and it's no good. So he's a little mad. He thought it was a foul. You know, it looked like there was some sort of contact, but... I don't know, I guess you could call it a good no call. And on the other side there, I mean, now what you're left with is no shot clock. You get a timeout in. Nets, they just got to sit on this thing. And worst case scenario, they get to play an extra two minutes for overtime. And, you know, obviously, if it doesn't go that way, they're going to probably hit a game winner here. Like, most likely, unless OKC miraculously hits like a three or whatever. So they want to sit with this. However... They got a little bit antsy. They wanted to get a bucket fast. So they inbound it from the left hash, goes to, you know, their man, and they want a screen. So screen is set. Vincent Edwards is in the play. He does, you know, a major slip up on offense, you could say, but he reclaims it on defense. So he goes over this screen. And, you know, maybe this was a bit of an acting job. The announcers thought it was, you know, not an, off, uh, not an offensive foul. I actually kind of think it was. I think he probably got tripped, but he like barely got nicked and he just went flying. So refs see it, you know, they just immediately call it because like, you know, it's a, it's kind of a bang, bang play. You need to call something. So they called it in favor of Oklahoma City. So they get the offensive foul and now the tables are turned. You got 15 seconds. Good to go, right? Well, it wasn't that easy because they challenged the call. And this is when the announcers were kind of, like, you know, maybe they should overturn this. Didn't overturn it. OKC gets their second chance. And the man who wants it again, it's Antonius Cleveland. He always wants to be in the big moments. You give it to him. He's just dribbling around right wing. He's able to sneak up to like the mid range, but he was swarmed the entire time. He didn't have any wiggle room here. Despite that, he was taking it regardless. He wanted this and was short. 11 foot pull up nope not on the mark so you go to this overtime just two minutes to go you gotta make sure every possession counts and first possession what you know nets get the tip they just walk right in for an easy layup and then the blue they stagnate you know it kind of seemed like they were running out of juice at the end of this fourth quarter and you can kind of feel that sometimes watching these games like you just for whatever reason you feel momentum shifting yeah, the momentum shifted in the Nets' favor. OKC strung them like three empty runs. The Nets, they were able to capitalize on one of those tries. So they had a four-point lead with 35 seconds to go. They won a three. They made it pretty obvious. You had a hot potato session going on with Vincent Edwards and Antonius Cleveland. They're over there on the right corner just passing it back and forth, back and forth. One of them had to shoot it up way too contested everyone was on that side of the court by that point and the cards were just all on the table it's pretty clear they needed a three and then they were just going to intentionally foul so nets they were going to give up a two they weren't giving up that that right corner three 
They had to shoot it anyways. And it was way off the mark. Nets end up getting it. You get a little free throw action back and forth. Yurt7 actually fouled out trying to help out here because, you know, he had five for a good portion of the fourth quarter and the overtime. He needed he needed a foul to give him a shot and cost him, you know, his final however many seconds of the game. Gave him another breath of fresh air. Didn't work out, though. They make the free throws. OKC on the other end. I think they get a layup or something, but... It didn't really matter, ultimately, because the Nets still win 121-115. to 115. And for the Nets, they pretty much saved their season. The Nets, going into this, as I said, were just 4-7. and seven. And whenever only 8 of, I believe, 22 teams make the playoffs, you can't possibly go in if you're below 500. So with 15 games, they have a chance to go 8-7. and seven. So there you go with that. If they lost another one it'd pretty much be out of the realm of possibility that they made it. So they got very lucky here. I'm not going to say lucky. They they earned the game. But they got a very big victory here. And other side, like Blue, they low-key needed this game. They end up dropping the ball, and now they are sitting at 8-4. and four. Kind of a lot of guys bunched in this conversation now. There are two other teams that are 8-4. and four. Austin Spurs are one, and you got the Delaware Bluecoats. And because of how... You know, all these advantages work. Spurs, they beat us. We beat the Delaware Bluecoats. So we hold the tiebreaker on the Bluecoats. Spurs hold the tiebreaker over us. I'm not 100% sure if the Spurs and the Bluecoats have played yet. However, it's going to be interesting if it's one of those scenarios where the Bluecoats beat the Spurs and now it's like, how do we kind of intertwine these? They The website has the OKC Blue as the number six seed, but I'm just going to assume that they aren't checking in on all these um tiebreakers or i don't even know if they're counting them i mean that's how they should work but they have them at six right now and that's a little bit scary they have a very great record but you know that's you can't be too safe with that because of what's to come and i'll, I'll mention that as i said a sec but however there's a lot of bright spots from this game and you got to start with your seven he comes in on really really short notice i mean Brown just instantly is like, nope, it's a rest day. Coach Gibbs didn't want him there. And, you know, you're at seven. He's looked great. He keeps going on the up and up. Always has been getting double doubles off the bench. He's got no real seven footers to defend him. Normally, the seven footer will just be in the starting lineup. And once he's gassed, you got like a six foot seven guy and you're at seven. That's not going to work out too well for you. And, you know, they gave him a six foot eight player in Reggie Perry and he just got smoked. I mean, you're at seven. He had 34 points. That's a career high, and that's probably more than Moses Brown has had in a single game this year. I'm not positive because I know Brown has reached the 30 mark. I don't know if it's been as high as 34, though. So he gets it on 12 of 18 field goal shooting, couples that with 13 rebounds. And what I've loved from your seven, he's not just the paint guy like Moses Brown has been. He likes to face up, and he was two of two on threes he was setting a lot of off ball screens that's something that i really did not notice up until now but he sets a ton of those and then he's able to kind of seep back sneaks out like mike muscala does sometimes that's how he gets those pick and pops and then you know other times he'll set a ton of them and then everyone's just confused he's able to get the dump off and he's able to convert i think he had like two or three alley-oop makes in this game and that's pretty wild from him he's not like this moses brown freak athlete he's not grabbing the ball and just immediately slamming that thing back home he's more of a traditional guy like he'll get it you know he tries to get good positioning then he'll go up for his hook shot there's a lot more preparation with yurt seven 
but it clearly has been getting the results that you want. So great game from him. Even when he was double teamed, he looked very calm uh, with what he was doing and he was making the right plays, as I mentioned, with how he was able to gun the ball out to Antonius Cleveland for that very clutch three. And Cleveland, on paper, 17 points on the game. That's not bad. But, but the way that he got those 17 points, not that pretty. Four of 14 in this game. His only saving grace came from the line. He was able to get to the free throw line for four trips, making all four of those. However, his game is just completely changed. And it's cool if you want to swap from being this perimeter guy to work on the interior. Show off everything you can. You only have 15 games. You're 28 years old. You need to make an impression on these teams. He was doing that. However, looks like he's kind of lost his shooting touch. He was shooting above like 60% through the first three or four games from deep range. It's definitely sunk down now. And shooting just one of five here, the only three he made was that clutch one. But it seemed like he was just pressing the issue. He wanted to score a little bit too much. There was a play where he was driving inside. He pulls up for like a, he does like a spin move. And then he just chucks up this like push shot over two guys. It's like, come on, man, you cannot be doing that. And this was like in the second half too. I think he's probably going to bounce back fine. We've seen Antonius Cleveland do this stuff. And then he'll follow it out with just playing like a little bit laid back, but he still gets you 15 points. This one little bit more pressed when it came to what he was doing but yeah 17 don't like the numbers that he kind of gave off though Jalen Horde he had 17 points I like the way that he was getting it a little bit better just four of seven shooting the three ball was not there for Horde but you know he didn't let that kind of run his show like he wasn't going for mid-ranges and threes he shot all of two on distance and then he just went inside so he gets in for the layups but not only that, he goes in for free throws, and he led the entire game in free throws attempted with six. Made five, the one that he missed, as mentioned, he got it back, and then he just drove in for another free throw. So he's a free throw machine. When you're six foot eight and you're a point forward, you're just going to cruise through these guys. There's not a lot of lengthy playmakers that are in the G League. For the most part, you're looking at like six foot tall passer guys. You're not looking at slashers with this kind of frame so they're able to dig pretty deep to get him and he's been able to produce very very well for him he also ended up getting i believe six boards to go with that as well so he's getting down low getting active you know when certain areas of his game are not working he's always able to just rely on that trusty um free throw so great at just drawing everyone in on the defense and that's what i've really liked from jalen horde he went from a guy who Kind of was an unknown, didn't play too much the first couple games, but now as you saw Randall leave and now you saw Jerome leave, he's kind of being thrusted into the limelight and you really cannot be more happy for him. He's been playing very great with his minutes. And another dude who kind of just got thrusted into the limelight, like quite literally, it's Phil Booth. He wasn't on the team to start the season. Chasson Randall was, so he played his two games. He ends up going on his two-way deal for Orlando and he got this open spot. So, what ends up happening is they picked up Phil Booth from the Washington Go-Go. Very athletic, Villanova graduate. Pretty much, like, similar skill set to Randall, actually. Just very bouncy, great at penetrating. But, you know, when you leave him open, he will kill you. This was his first real game, getting the minutes necessary. 15 points on 5 of 9 shooting. And he shot 3 of 7 on distant shots. So, 
He's definitely a clear-cut scorer first, passer second, but that's okay. We want that blend off the bench. You already have Ryan Woolridge, who kind of, I would say, is like a offensive-oriented person first, then he'll look to pass, but he sometimes does look to kick out a lot. I think he had nine assists. No, he had 11 assists a couple games ago, and in this one, he was a little bit more quiet when it came to finding the open man. He had four on this game. Only seven points to go with that, though. So he's a little quiet. He did have three steals, though, and that's that's probably what I take away from Woolridge's game. We have not seen that crazy amounts of uh, defensive output from him. So yeah, I thought it was cool from Woolridge as well. Rob Edwards, he had 10 points on three of six shooting. He's not really shooting as much in the starting unit just because of how many other players there are kind of in the pecking order here. I don't know how to feel about that. I think that I liked him in his bench role a little bit more because he did kind of come in, gave you that Hamadou Diallo factor where he can run the offense for you for five minutes and either he just kills the competition and blows him out early or, you know, maybe he doesn't do much, but then you can lean on other players such as Jalen Horde. And now you got guys like Woolridge and, um, I mean, Vincent Edwards has been great. Even, you know, Melvin Frazier Jr. who didn't even play in this game. So, yeah, I, I thought that role fit him pretty pretty nicely only one of three on distances though so i mean he tried pulling up just not a ton one guy who just didn't play enough was alexi pokachevsky he only played 13 minutes in this game didn't have any points that was on o of two shooting so he tried he had three rebounds and three assists and it's kind of an anomaly on what happened with Pokachevsky. And this is something that I was asked, like, whenever I um, submitted everything to Reddit and all that. That's one of the questions I had. Like, why was Poku gone in the second half? Honestly, I don't know the correct answer to this. But it's probably going to have to do with the upcoming schedule. Number one, you need the rest in. And number two, he was dealing with a foot injury. So maybe he re-aggravated that. And you just don't want to mess with it. And when you had guys like Jalen Horde kind of just going off, it may have just made sense to play him anyways. I think the guy who probably played a little bit worse than Pokachevsky, if he would have been in, was Vincent Edwards. He shot just 4 of 15. So I think that was a replacement. And I think Pokachevsky probably should be back. Gibbs did not make a statement post game, And that's a little bit of a reason why there's such a huge question mark right here. But they're going to be back on Wednesday, and we'll see if Pokachevsky is in the lineup. I wouldn't be stressing about it too, too much here. Pokachevsky, um, even though like the stat line wouldn't tell you, he was great to start the game out. I think the first two buckets for your seven literally just came off of Pokachevsky driving in, finding him, and you know, he does the rest for you. So great two-man game. Always seems to be great with your seven as well as Brown. He loves kicking inside. He loves working on the interior. He's seven feet tall, taller than most of the guys, most of the centers that are out on the floor. And whenever they have to be, you know, stuck on Pokachevsky, just dumps it right down to the big man and he eats up his matchup. Because Pokachevsky, he's playing the power forward to small forward role at sometimes. You gotta switch the bigger of the two there. So he's got a power forward on him. But that's still not going to be tall enough to deal with seven foot two and seven foot centers, you know? So they have a thing going right there. However, I mean, even with all that, they're on a cold streak. Only one, one of their last four games. That's pretty, pretty bad, especially when you look at the schedule. And the schedule, it's a little bit rough, guys. 
I think the Blue have the hardest schedule remaining in the entire league. They have to deal with the top dogs here. They start against the Raptors 9:05 on Wednesday. They're 9 and 3. And then after that, they go against the number one seed, the Erie Bayhawks. They've only lost twice the entire season. And one of those losses came to the Austin Spurs. They're not losing to joke teams. They're the they're the real deal. They are the guys you need to dethrone. 10 and 2 must win. And then you got the Santa Cruz Warriors to cap off the season. This is the hottest team in the G League right now. They have not lost for probably two weeks. Their winning streak is up to eight right now. That is the highest streak we have seen in the entire league. The highest one before that came from the Blue Coats, but now they have dropped down significantly. As I've said, they're in the eight and four column as well with the Blue. So this is going to come down to the wire here. The only team that's clinched a playoff spot is the Erie Bayhawks. Everyone else needs to fight for their 10th win. The OKC Blue, you know, you don't have to say surefire they need to win two out of these three, but they sure as hell need to get one of these. It's going to be a very tough situation if they end up falling to eight and seven because some of these tiebreakers that they don't have the advantage on will come back to bite them. We're talking the Greensboro Swarm who currently are sitting at four and seven and you got the Long Island Nets who are five and seven. Either of those teams, they have the up on them and you know, even the G League Ignite, they are seven and five. If they get in a situation where they have a similar record they get the advantage too so it's gonna be wild and you know i'm gonna keep y'all updated on it however i mean this this is something you need to worry about um i'm not gonna say significantly just let it ride but they do need to get some w's and it's gonna be against the top tier of competition they've already played all the tiny teams in this league now you gotta face kind of the real dogs here if you want to end up clinching the playoffs and you're going to get Moses Brown back for this next stretch of games Pokachevsky we're not really sure about he could be back you already know when Pokachevsky steps on the floor he's either dropping 30 points for you or you know not so much so yeah you got a wild factor with Pokachevsky you know Brown's dominant and then when you got Yurt 7 coming off the bench most likely I don't think they're going to swap the roles out of nowhere you know that's an instant double-double. None of these three teams are going to be able to stop Yurt 7. They might be able to contain Brown, but as soon as their starting center comes out the lineup, they are practically screwed. They're going to be in big trouble, and that's when Yurt 7 does his best. Another guy who probably should be returning, Melvin Frazier Jr. He was on the sidelines today for this game, but he just never stepped on the floor. So he is still with the squad. I don't believe he's injured whatsoever. And he doesn't always fill up the stat sheet with like 15 points. What he does, though, is provide defense. And that's something that team, the team has just needed. They allowed way too many points inside when it came to Brown, Frazier being gone. They had 56. You know, that's the second highest this, this year. Only higher one was against the Swarm, and they had 58. And helped them out a ton because, you know, without the inside game, they were done for. They shot in the 20% from three the nets did and then just getting to the free throw line it worked so you got to shut down the paint against all these teams force them to play in the perimeter you did that against the rio grande valley vipers with kevin porter jr they got stung big time try doing it again hopefully you're able to fish out one or two of these and continue on for the championship run that we all really want to see from these guys so other than that though that is going to wrap up today's episode as mentioned though i highly suggest 
If you guys want to get any questions, make sure to submit them to me. I'm probably going to be recording the episode for tomorrow, like in the morning. I'd maybe see like 10 or 11 a.m. Central. That's probably the ballpark. So if you get in before that, I will be able to check. You guys need to either message it to me through the uh, Reddit thing or through Twitter. And you guys, all you got to do is click on my name in the description of this podcast and you'll be good to go. But yeah. That's that's what's going on tomorrow. Hope you all listen to that. It should be on the lengthier side. I know some of you may enjoy that. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.